0: with you all again and if you have your bibles turn with me to genesis chapter 16 we're going to look at the second part of uh, genesis chapter 16 and to start us off we'll read from verses 6 to 9 genesis 16 verses 6 to 9 But Abram said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarai dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way of Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where whence camest thou? And whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarah. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress and submit thyself unto her hands. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll commit this time to him. Father in heaven, we thank you for your love and grace. And we thank you for your word, which you have given to us, which you have preserved for us. And we pray now that you would open up our eyes to its truth. I pray that you would use me as an instrument in your hand Father, revealing your ways, and by your grace, I pray that we might grow uh, more into the image of your beloved Son. Bless us now as we seek to grow closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So just to recap, the last time we caught up with uh, Abram and Sarai, and now Hagar was in this picture, we looked at the situation where sarah had imagined that she was too old now to bear children and god had promised abraham that he was going to have descendants as many as the stars in the sky sarah because she was pretty old at this stage and normally well past the age of childbearing suggested to abram uh, how about you take hagar my servant and go into her, make her your second wife. And that way we can have children and that promise that God made to you might be fulfilled through her. And she actually said that she might have children through Hagar. Well, Hagar went from being a servant, which they had acquired in Egypt uh, at their, on their time there. Um, she went to now being in a completely different position. She went from a servant to being a wife of Abram and it was the custom of their day okay so this is not something new that they had done or invented off their own mind but it was customary for men of of wealth and importance and those to have multiple wives and, and servants were almost treated in that way so you could have multiple lines of uh, of generations and children so this is what happened and this is where we left them last time so Hagar became pregnant and um the bible tells us that she began to demonstrate an air of then superiority Uh, when she was looking at sarah and when sarah was in her presence hagar felt herself to be more high and more important because well she's not only abram's wife now she wasn't a servant anymore she was his wife and um she was bearing his child which put her in a very very privileged position because now it was through her children that Abraham was going to be uh, continued and his line was going to continue so we had this exchange between Sarah and and Abram where she came to him and she was all upset because you know now Hagar was treating her with contempt and she went to her husband and she said this is on you this is your fault And Abram said, well, you're the one who suggested her to me. And she said, well, essentially that she did that in a a moment of weakness. And so Abram says to Sarai, she's your servant. Do what you want with her. Would you classify that as good advice? Well, probably not. And so Sarah dealt hardly with her. Now, we don't know what that word hardly exactly means. She may have used physical force against her, or she may simply have told her off completely. But at this point, Hagar's taken off, and she's headed off into the wilderness, heading towards Egypt, where she originally came from. And the question is, well, she's a pregnant woman. How far is she going to get in the middle of a wilderness by herself? Uh, could she even reach her homeland? And did she even know where she was going? So it seems that Hagar made a pretty quick decision in a moment of suffering to abandon everything she had um, and go back to an old life that she once knew. So Genesis sixteen six says, But Abram said unto Sarah, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarah dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. So we may be tempted to immediately say or excuse Sarah and say, well, it was all Hagar's fault because, you know, Hagar was acting all, you know, arrogant and and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, Sarah, it was her servant, so she could do whatever she wanted with her. Um, But you need to remember something as well. Before we go into that particular place, you need to remember that Sarah was the one who offered Hagar to, to Abram, her husband. And so she had been a servant to Sarah for years. And and if you think of this and think of the, the, the reasoning behind it, for Sarah to actually offer Hagar to her own husband, she must have thought in her own mind, Hagar wasn't a bad person. That Hagar was a faithful person. Maybe she was a humble person. So whatever reason that she had to choose Hagar over maybe even other servants that she had, there must have been some reasoning behind it. But after, the, after Hagar conceived, her demeanour then changed. And as the scriptures say and describe, it says that um, Sarah became despised in her eyes. She saw herself not only as Sarah's equal, but probably more so. But who was in the wrong in all of this mess? Because it is a complete mess, really, when you think of it. There was plenty of blame you could throw around sarai offered hagar to her husband um, abraham immediately said sounds like a good idea let's go for it um, then he lay with with hagar hagar then becomes arrogant and proud uh, against her against sarah and a new position sarah immediately gets threatened by hagar's demeanor abraham then tells sarah do whatever you want with her fantastic advice sarah then mistreats her okay and then hagar makes a decision just to take off into the desert um who's got to blame in all that well it's apart from it sounding like a, an episode of days of our lives um there's plenty of blame to throw around, everyone. But isn't that what life is like? Life isn't normally, you know, one person's fault here, where you got into a mess, where everyone gets into a mess because one person made a decision. No, no. Normally, life and the messes we get ourselves into normally take a team effort. Okay, and everyone does something wrong. Normally, there's normally in life. This is what I found in ministry and, and and both in general life that. Where two people are at war with each other or fighting with each other, there's normally a bit of blame to share around. There might be more proportion towards one than the other, but generally everyone's got a bit of blame in there somewhere because someone may have instigated someone, maybe have acted in a, in, a, in, a, uh, in an arrogant way. The other person then takes it to the next level. We have a tendency of actually you know ramping up this thing because the flesh doesn't want to ever lose. And so life is... And the messes we get ourselves in, especially when we, are in, when we are being with each other, when we are making decisions regarding each other and interacting with each other, um, bad situations don't normally arise from just one decision. And uh, we have these three people here who are in a pretty difficult state. Abraham now, if you can imagine what he's, what he's thinking, the woman I'm, who's carrying my child has now gone. Where's she gone? What, What's going to happen now? Yeah, you know, it's one beautiful thing. And this is why the Word of God is so perfect and trustworthy. It doesn't sugarcoat, regardless of how wonderful the person is, Abraham, Sarah, and all these great heroes of the faith, it never sugarcoats their weaknesses and their mistakes. It actually reveals them more so we can learn from them. And so that's the trustworthiness of the Word of God. If you look at the accounts of most of the um, ancient gods and things of that nature, they're all sugar-coated. You know, if you read the accounts of kings, of of nations, especially in the Middle East, and you know, of, of Egyptian pharaohs and all that sort of stuff, they never put a foot wrong. But the Bible always tells us the complete truth about what the situation is. And it tells us for a reason, so that we might understand our own weaknesses and see ourselves in that thing and then we might be able to respond to that message and the beautiful thing the bible shows us in this particular passage is that despite the messes that we get ourselves in despite the mess that hagar was now in and that abraham and sarah found themselves in god was watching the whole time god's there in the middle of it and might look at Hagar and say oh you know that Egyptian you know what she the the trouble she caused that family but that Egyptian is the one that God went after she was the one who was now the most in danger and God hadn't taken his eyes off her he actually went after her so we have in verse 7 it says "And the angel of the Lord found her so he went after her he found her he wasn't just you know God wasn't just sitting around at the, at, the, uh, at the fountain and one day and she arrived and said, oh, hey God, what are you doing here? He went after her. He found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the, uh, by the fountain in the way of Shur. So the first question, and if, you've, if you're not familiar with this phrase, the angel of the Lord, the question is, well, who, which angel is it? You know, who is the angel of the Lord? Was this like an angel Gabriel? You know, the, the, the one that went to Mary? The one that spoke to Daniel, is this another type of angel? Maybe Michael, the archangel, is this a different type of angel? Um, Turn back with me to Exodus, oh sorry, forward, Exodus chapter 3, verses 2 to 6. There are multiple examples that we have of this angel of the Lord and the identity of this angel, just so that we are perfectly clear about who is speaking with Hagar. So most of you are very familiar with this passage and very familiar with this story of a burning bush. Exodus 3, two says, And the angel of the Lord, there's your phrase, there's the angel of the Lord, appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside And see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here here am I. And he said, draw not not nigh hither, don't come too close. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Who is this angel of the Lord? It's God himself. God himself. The angel of the Lord is the son of God. Before he became incarnate as a man. And he's visited... Multiple people in the in the Bible in throughout the, the Old Testament. And whenever Abraham saw God, that's the son of God who came to visit him. And so the Lord himself didn't send someone else. He came himself to deal with Hagar in a time of her distress. And she recognized that it was God himself who had seen her and whom she had just seen. You see, uh, uh, Hagar had now spent a number of years with Abram and Sarah and knew full well this God, Jehovah. She knew his name. Is it getting a bit warm in here? We might want to open up a few windows. I think it might be getting a bit stuffy. But think about this for a moment. God revealed himself to Hagar, the same way that he revealed himself to Abraham. So Hagar is a picture of the lost. Okay? Hagar becomes a picture of the unsaved, specifically us, specifically the Gentiles. You see, Hagar was outside the covenant that God was creating with Abraham and Sarah through Isaac and then Jacob. So God was making a line of people that eventually the Messiah, through whom the Messiah would be born, God was making a special covenant, a special agreement through Abraham. Now, Abraham and Sarah had gone off on a slightly different tangent and said, well, we're going to try and fulfill that particular thing by doing this. And they, and they didn't do the right thing. So now you have two paths simultaneously working in two different directions. And so Hagar was outside that original covenant with God through Abraham. And she was only really connected superficially at that particular point. But now she's lost in the wilderness, running from her master, Sarah, running toward Egypt and probably death. In her lost state, God comes to her. He finds her. And despite her not being connected despite her own sin of arrogance and and being proud and boastful about about what she was now despite her presumptuous decision just to run off and not think about where she was going and running back into egypt and death isn't that what we were like as gentiles isn't that us ignorant of the promises of god not connected to the head, running toward death, knowing that there is a God, probably, but never really knowing him personally. And yet, God came after us and said, what are you doing? Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, just to recap. And the reason I had Isaac read this passage was to remind us that we were once aliens. Gentiles were not part of... Of the agreement that God had made. We found ourselves aliens outside of the agreement that God had made through Moses. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 11, now remember this is talking about us it says wherefore remember that ye being in time past gentiles in the flesh which means unsaved we were following after other gods we were worshipping ourselves who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision the Jews okay? so the Jews called us the uncircumcision the people that were not circumcised properly not part of the original covenant is the flesh made by hands verse 12 that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the Commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now when Jesus in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off, that's like Hagar, she is now far away, okay on her way towards death and Egypt, We who were sometimes far away are made nigh, which means brought close by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both, that's the Gentiles and the Jews, okay, one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. What separated us? Well, God had made a covenant with the Jews. God gave the Jews the law. They had the word of God, and the the Gentiles didn't. The Gentiles were running in all different directions, chasing after everything else in the world. We were, we were completely ignorant about God. And God's through Christ, has broken down this middle wall and he's created a new person. And it says, verse 14 says, For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of Commandments contained in ordinances for the making himself of twain of two people one new man So making peace. Hang on a sec. Let's just stop there. Okay, so having abolished in his flesh the enmity Even the law of Commandments contained in ordinances Which means salvation does not come by good works Salvation does not come by keeping the law. You cannot earn your way to heaven regardless of what you do or what you think you're doing you cannot reach there the law of the commandments is no not required the law of commandments was given to the jews to show us that it was impossible to keep and that regardless of how much you tried you were always guilty That was the whole reason for the sacrificial system they had. That's why sacrifices had to be made over and over and over again, because it was showing us that despite how much we tried, despite our efforts, we were by nature the children of wrath. We were by nature sinners. We couldn't help but continue to go there and do it our own way. And so God says, I'm going to break that partition down. I'm going to make in Christ one person, one new person who understands that salvation comes by grace through faith and verse 17 says and came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh for through him we both have access by one spirit unto the father now therefore ye and that's all of you here because i don't know if there's any jews here now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of god so like hagar running into a desert we too were destined for death we were running to egypt we were running away from god leaving we did not want anything to do with what we thought was not right or or, uh you know when you go and share the gospel of people in the street do they think that god is reasonable no No, the reason they don't come to God is because they think he's unreasonable. They might even believe in God. But the reason that they will not humble themselves and turn to him is because they think he's going to rob me of all my happiness. He's going to make me give up all this stuff that brings me joy and happiness. And what type of a God is it? Do I really want to be involved in this type of God? No, I'm going the other direction. And Hagar is running away saying it's not fair. But we were the same as Hagar running towards death and towards Egypt. But isn't it wonderful that God sought us and found us? And I love the fact that he called us by name as he calls her. He says, "Hagar." he knows her name. And so he knew our name and he's told her return and go under the governance of grace. The beautiful thing about the gospel is And Luke 19, verse 10 says this, For the Son of Man is come to seek and save that which was lost. If you're saved this morning, then you have been found and you have been saved because Jesus sought you. But the Bible tells us, if we turn to Romans chapter 3, that none of us seek after God. It's him who comes after us. None of us were the first ones to come to God and say, you know, I really understand what's going on here. I'll chase after God. No, no, God came after us. It was God who kept on knocking at the door, and a picture of Jesus in the, latest, in the latest scene, he's knocking at the door. And so Romans 3.10 to 12 says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understand it. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Not one. Which means we are all, we all stand condemned before we find salvation in Christ. Every one of us. None of us was chasing after God. None of us thought clearly enough. God had to, had to open up our eyes. He had to come chasing after us. He had to say, Frank, what are you doing? You might think of Hagar in a negative way because she might have been the cause of division. She was like symbolic of this new thing that was, that was happening, which was not done in faith. She was proud towards Sarah. She was driven by her emotions. She's running away from God, from Abraham. Um, she was confused, all right. But that Egyptian servant was us. And if the angel of the Lord can find her, in the middle of a desert, you can find anyone. And so I want to encourage all of you that if you have friends and family who don't know God, God can find them. So keep sharing the love of God with them. So look at verse eight of Genesis 16 now, and it says, and he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, Sarah's maid. Whence camest thou? Where did you come from? To this place and whither wilt thou go? And where are you going to go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress Sarah. Isn't it beautiful that God knew her name, knew it well? Where have you come from to this place? Where are you going? Aren't they two really good questions to ask someone? And when God asks questions, He's not asking them because He didn't know where she came from or where she was going or where she was heading. He asks in order for that person to actually understand what they're doing, to think about what they're actually doing, to reveal their own heart in the matter. In fact, it's probably a good idea to ask ourselves these questions every time we reach uh, some sort of a crossroad in our lives or a difficult time in our lives. Where have you come from? How did you get to this place? How is it you got to this place? How is it that you and I got to where we are in our lives today? And the next question is, where are you going? Where are you heading? I think it's good to ask ourselves each day of our lives. In Hagar's case, she had come from the household of Abraham. She was carrying his child. She had been harshly dealt with, but there at least she had a home. She had food, she had shelter, sure it was a dysfunctional family. But in that place, she was taught the things of God. That's where she found out about God. And where was she going? Well, I don't think she knew really, maybe heading in the direction of Egypt. But what's she going to get or happen to her on the way there? She could be attacked by wild animals. She could be taken captive. Being a single a pregnant woman, I, anything could have actually happened to her. And where was she going back to? I mean, she was sold as a slave to Abram. She was given as a slave. So it's not like she was going back to a royal family. She was going back to more slavery. And you know what happened to slaves that, that would run away in those days? If they found out that she had run away from her master? You wouldn't have another master the result was death she had no idea what was waiting for her But all she knew that she was running away but while she was running away god was watching over her and understood where she was heading and so the question that we should ask ourselves this morning is are we at a particular crossroads in our own lives where are we at? Are you in a position where you're making important important decisions about running in a particular direction? What direction are you heading in your life? And, where, and how is it you've got to this particular point? Because oftentimes if we look at our own lives and we look at the lives of Abraham, Sarah and Hagar, oftentimes we're in a similar type of position because we get ourselves into difficult situations by One continual bad decision after the other, thinking we're doing good, but not applying the word of God properly. And so we find ourselves in a difficult position. And then to get ourselves out of that position, what do we do? You either run anywhere else. And then by doing that, we actually get ourselves into a deeper hole than before. And God says, how did you get here? Where are you actually going? All Hagar knew for certain that she was running away. That's the only thing that she tells God. I'm running away from the face of my my master, Sarah. She didn't know where she was going because she had no idea. And God says to her, go back. Look at verse 9. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress and submit thyself unto her hands. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Someone who's just been harshly dealt with. God says, go back to her and submit yourself under her hands. This is the foundation of the gospel again. and God tells us the gospel in so many different ways. It's, it's just amazing. This is the foundation of when we share the gospel with people. And we say to people, or we ask people, how did you get to this place? Where, where, where have you come from? Where do you think you're going when you share the gospel with them? Do you know where you're going? And most people are running away from God because they believe that he is a hard taskmaster, because He is selfish, because he wants to rob them, as I've said, of being happy. And they, like Hagar, have no idea what they're heading for, but God knows what they're heading for. And then we know as well. And so we've been given this task. It's a very difficult task of telling people you're heading for death. You're heading for an eternity away from God. You're heading for a place that you don't want to be in. And so we warn them about that and we say, you need to repent. Stop. Change your mind about the direction you're going in. Turn around before you head over that cliff and it's too late for you. That's what a picture of the gospel. Return and submit yourself under Her hands, really, it's return to God and submit yourself under his hands. Hagar may have probably deserved to be told off and to be dealt harshly with, but running away would lead her into a much worse situation than staying there. So the Lord says, return and submit. Why would God call on Hagar to return to her master in the flesh when she had dealt harshly with her? because God knew full well it was much better for her to endure whatever she was going to go through with Sarah, because the alternative was death. Submission is a difficult word for us, because he tells her, go back and submit yourself, especially submission to people that we don't like. It's so hard for us in our culture, in the Western culture, We rail against that type of thinking. We hate it because we're encouraged to rebel and and pretty much question everything and everyone. There is little respect in our culture for any office at any level, including parents at home, roles of the father, roles of pastors and elders, roles of teachers, policemen, politicians and so on. In our culture, we have respect for zero. And we're encouraged not to respect. We're encouraged to continually push against. But we need to be careful as believers. And we need to take stock of our attitudes. Because they may not reflect what the biblical teaching on these things is when it comes to authority. In fact, the Bible teaches us that our submission to authority, to God's structure, God loves structure. He loves it. But he hates rebellion he hates it he sees rebellion as the sin of witchcraft okay our submission to authority over us is a sign of submission to the lord himself i'll explain what i mean look at first john 4:20 with me for a moment first john chapter 4 verse 20 So the two greatest commandments, when Jesus was asked, and Jesus responded, he says, "The first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then to love your neighbor as yourself." Okay. When Jesus told his disciples, um, and when he when he told them that he was about to go, he said, "Love one another as I have loved you." And he says, by the love that you have for one another, will people know that you are my disciples. So the Apostle John here says in 1 John 4 20, he says, If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a, a liar. Doesn't mince the word. You're a liar. You say you love God and you hate your brother, sorry, you're lying. For he that loveth not his brother whom he, seen, whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? If you can't love what's in front of you, how can you possibly love the one who you can't even see? So your love for your brethren, your love for other people is actually a sign of actually how much you love God. Because if you can't love what's in front of you, you can't love that which is invisible to you. If this statement is true, and I'm found to be a liar because I say I love God but hate my brother, what about if I say, I serve God, I'm his servant, I've submitted myself to him. I live my life in submission to God. And what about if you can't submit to anyone else? Well, there's maybe a problem. Because if you look throughout the scriptures, Old and New Testament, let me read some of the verses about submission. So Ephesians 6.1 Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Ephesians 5.22 says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now that's a big one there. Hebrews 13:17 says, "Obey them which have the rule over you, and submit yourselves: for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account. That they may do it with joy, and not with grief: for that is unprofitable for you." That's pastors. <coughs> Colossians 3:22 says, "Servants, servants, right? Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service, as, as men pleases, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Your boss, it says, obey them in all things. Titus 3.1 says, put them in mind to be subject, subjected to, submitted to, principalities and powers to obey magistrates to be ready for every good work. Now, the Apostle Peter, speaking about in his first letter, speaking about submission to authority in times of trial. He's speaking to Christians who were writing to him who were suffering as slaves under harsh taskmasters. Who's anyone a slave in here? I don't know any slaves, okay? But although slavery exists in this world, but in those days, slaves were a common thing and you were owned by the person who you worked for. And so they were writing to Peter and saying, Peter, what do we do? We're we're literally, we are owned by these people. They can do with us what they want. And we are suffering under harsh taskmasters. The same thing with wives who had disobedient and unbelieving husbands. Every person, every person was under the, Jurisdiction of an unjust Roman government. What was Peter's words to each of those groups? Turn to first Peter chapter 2, verse 13 with me. First Peter 2, 13. Just to make it clear. So the Roman Empire was a very powerful, empire, but there was no freedom. If you didn't, if you disobeyed anything within within their uh, jurisdiction, they they had the right to do whatever they wanted with you. Essentially, if you were not a citizen of their of their empire, well, they could literally do whatever they wanted with you. If you were part of the empire, if you were a citizen, you could you had some rights. But look at Peter and what he says to these groups. 1 Peter 2.13 says, Submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, for the praise of them that do well. Okay. Submit yourself to every ordinance of men. Now that is an interesting phrase, isn't it? And the, the natural question that arises is, what happens if they ask me to do something that's contrary to? Well, the obvious answer is God's law is above the laws of man. Because God is the ultimate governor. God is the ultimate king. Okay? But where they don't ask you to, do, to break a commandment, it says submit yourselves. Go to 1 Peter chapter 3 now, verse 1. So that's speaking about governments and rulers over us in a, in an earthly sense. First Peter three one says, With respect to wives. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may, without the word, be won by the conversation of their wives, which means the lifestyle of their wives. Is his advice to leave your husband? No. He says, actually be in subjection to them, but try to win them over for the Lord with your lifestyle. Okay? Look at First Peter chapter 5, verse 5. What about younger people who know more than all the older people? Teenagers know more than any other age group that I know. So we normally go to them for our advice. I was a teenager once, believe it or not. First Peter 5, 5 says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. So there is your wrap up of this thing. And so if you look at the very next verse, if you're wondering about being under authority, whether it's of a husband, of a pastor, of a politician, or whatever else it may be, the advice here is, verse 6, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. That is in the context of people being mistreated. So when God told Hagar to go back to Sarah, he was calling on Sarah not to, he was calling on Hagar not to trust Sarah. Not to say, he wasn't saying, I'm gonna send you back to Sarah and she's gonna be, I've sorted her out now. She's gonna be perfect from this point on. No, God's saying, go back to Sarah, submit yourself to her and trust me. Just trust me because I know what's right for you and God told this to Hagar because God is merciful and he is kind and God's kindness leads to repentance so he pursues people even in their sin and he calls on them to repent and return to submit and obey even when things look hard you know some people struggle to grow in the lord because they have a habit of running from difficult situations that God has specifically put there for them to work through. They had problems with parents maybe as teenagers and so they rebelled. Get a job with someone and the boss isn't a nice guy so they leave and find another job. They get married and have conflicts with with their family, with their husband or their spouse and they leave. They see counselling, they don't like the counselling so they go look for another counsellor. They join a church, they don't like something in the church, they, leave. they pick up and leave a church. They have relationships and friendships and they're not happy with their friends so they leave that friend and they go and find another friend. But What people don't realise is often growth as a believer comes through suffering. That's a, that's a hard thing to take. That God sometimes says, stay where you are and go through the suffering because I've got some lesson to, to teach you here. Looked at this uh, uh, yesterday with the men. And would you believe that Jesus even learned <coughs> through suffering? Jesus, the Son of God. Hebrews 5 8 says, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. So our, the thing that drives us oftentimes in our lives is to avoid as much suffering as we possibly can, to avoid any suffering. In fact, our whole lives in modern Western culture is to avoid as much suffering as you possibly can. Everything that we buy, everything that's invented, everything that, that's around us is designed to minimize you and my suffering. But when it comes to the things of God, If we avoid all suffering and we run away from all the problems that we have, what happens most of the time is that God's trying to teach us something about ourselves. And in running away from that lesson, we bring the problem that we have to the next place, and then the next place, and then the next place. And so instead of allowing God to teach us through a difficult circumstance to rely on His grace. We actually run and we lose the lesson and then God has to try and teach us that lesson again. According to the Scriptures, there is great reward and refining of our faith. We, when we endure suffering for doing good, there is plenty of promise in doing it when we do the right thing and we go through suffering as a result of doing the right thing. God says, I'm going to bless you through that. You've done the right thing. I'm going to bless you. Look at what he says to Hagar now in verse 10 and 11. He says, and the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly. That it shall be not numbered, shall it not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, behold, thou art with child and shall bear a son and shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. Just a quick one there for a moment. Ishmael is the father of the Arabs, right? And they recognize that. It's actually in the Quran. The Quran says that Ishmael is our father, Ishmael. But if you ever wondered about Ishmael's name, Ishmael contains the name for God in his name. See those names in the Bible where it says um, Israel, Daniel, Michael, Samuel, Gabriel, Ezekiel. What do you think the, all the Ls are there for? The Ls are all the word for God. They've got the name or the word for God in their name. Okay. And so Al is the word for God. And that's where we get the name or the word Elohim, Al El Shaddai, Al El Elyon. All these various names that God the God of, of love, the God of all these different things. That's where we get that from. And so Ishmael, the father of the Arabs, has the word for God. And it's not Al, it's Al. And so he actually is their father and he contains the name of God within his own name, which is, I find that fascinating. Anyway, um, the promise, though, and this is the promise he's making to um to hagar here is that if she would return and submit that he promises her that the child within her is going to be blessed and so god promises the same thing to us if you're going through affliction if you're going through suffering and you trust god to get you through that particular thing and teach you something because that's the the bottom line here to trust god wherever you are But when you learn to trust and obey God, there is fruit always for God's glory. Let's wrap this thing up. Look at Genesis 16, 12. Now he describes what her son's going to be like. Now, mind you, she is a slave. Maybe her whole family was slaves. All she's ever known is being a servant for someone, being owned by someone else. And so God says about her son that's going to be born, he says he will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man and every man's hand against him and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. God reveals he's going to be a wild man. Meaning strong, independent, untamed. He's going to be a fighter. But he's going to be free, isn't he? He's not going to be a slave. He's going to be in constant uh, fightings with his brethren, which are the Jews, which we have seen but he says that your son is going to be like this. Do you think that would have discouraged her? No. I mean, if someone said my future son was gonna be a bit of a wild man, he's gonna be fighting with everyone all the time, that might discourage you, huh? You might think, mate, what sort of a future he's gonna have? It doesn't discourage her. Because for her, she's thinking, he's not gonna be a slave. And I'm gonna have all these descendants. And they're going to be independent people. And so look at her response. And she called the name of the Lord, Jehovah, that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. For she said, I have also here looked after him that seeth me. Have I I actually seen him too? Wherefore the well was called Bir Lahay Roy. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered. Hagar responded to the Lord's message with faith. And she obeyed. And her amazement here was that the God who had revealed himself to Abraham, the God of the entire universe, had now called her and was making a covenant with her. And had she really seen him? And she's thinking to herself, I've actually seen God. And she names that place around that. Literally, the well of the living one who sees me. Not only does God see, but even better, God sees me. God sees every person. He knows them all by name. Despite the confusion, the sin, and the direction that they're running in, God sees and knows and cares for that person. And he calls out to people. And he calls for them to repent, to turn around, come back. It might not be easy. Now, one of the things where where Jesus doesn't promise, or what Jesus doesn't promise to those who put their faith in him is a life of ease. In fact, Jesus promises us over and over again, as believers, you are going to be persecuted, you will be mocked, you will be outcasts you will suffer for my name's sake but the scriptures don't ever tell us we're going to have a life of ease and joy it does say joy but in the midst of suffering you have joy right god never the lord never promises an easy life but he promises us eternal life okay and so whatever we go through in this world is an opportunity for us to grow and to be more like him, because he suffered for us. And so, Hagar here returns. Hagar responds. And my prayer is that we would respond to God, not just when we just get saved, but every day of our lives. If we start turning off in a different direction, we should, be, we should have our ears open to God saying, hey, hey, I want you to come back this way. Because oftentimes we, we are running so fast, we're not paying attention to where we're going. And we find ourselves in a short while, way, way, away, And then it takes a while to get back. So my advice to every one of us, my counsel is to keep an open ear for what God is telling each of us through his word. And in verse 15 and 16, it says, And Hagar bare Abram a son. And Abram called his son's name, which Hagar bare Ishmael. And Abraham was fourscore and six years old, 86 years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abraham Abraham Hagar responded to the Lord with submission and obedience she returned to Abraham and Sarah as God had commanded her and so the important truth for us today is if you feel confused if you feel lost if you feel hard done by God sees you God knows what you're going through and he calls you to trust in him and submit to him okay even though we may have run from God, repent, turn around, believe the gospel, and trust in Jesus to save you and grant you eternal life. That's the testimony of Hagar's encounter with God. She named a well after the God who saw her. Now, what does your life testify? Think about that for a moment. What does your life testify to other people about God? God bless you all. Thank you. Brother Kramer.